Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to another episode of the MTHD Paramedic Podcast. Dr. Casey Patrick here, and joining me today is Dr. Greg Ferris. Greg is a uh, practicing pediatric emergency medicine physician in Indianapolis, where he's the deputy medical director of Indianapolis EMS, and he's also on staff at Riley Hospital for Children. And we're lucky to have Greg with us today to talk about some uh, pediatric pearls. And we're going to start today today's talk talking about pediatric out-of-hospital cardiac arrest and this is one that I think for all of us gets us a little bit uh, sweaty in the armpits and uh, heart rate up and the hair stands up on the back of our necks this is no one's uh, favorite call to run on but I think it's one where um, kind of twofold we can make a humongous difference number one and number two I think there's some changes in the literature some changes in approach to pediatric out-of-hospital cardiac arrest that we'll get to that we're probably going to be seeing again seeing some changes coming in the future so Greg let's start with some of the major differences in the pre-hospital approach to cardiac arrest you know from peds as opposed to the adult patient okay that sounds good thanks for having me on um you know, I think that, to be honest, what I always tell our medics when I'm doing education about this is your approach really between a pediatric and an adult patient is, I mean, it's essentially the same, right? You're going to, you approach every patient the same way. You, you are going to assess their ABCs or CAB um, and, and go from there. Um, so I think the way you approach them is this is is very similar you know the source of the cardiac arrest is different between the two typically but uh, but I think the way that if, if you can approach them the same way I think that it really helps set the mindset of, of the medic and, and all providers really I think that probably was a little bit of a loaded question to start with um, we've, we've already had we've already had dr. Peter Antevi on on the sure. podcast here with us and we, you know he he feels the same way um, I think that uh, unfortunately you know while we know ABC, CAB, the same approach mentally when we run on an 80-year-old in arrest versus an eight-year-old in arrest, you know, there are some some big psychologic differences there as right. far as expectations from, you know, us as the paramedics, expectations of the family, expectations of, you know, police and first responders on the scene. You know, practice is shifting towards working our peds out of hospital cardiac arrest on scene as opposed to a scoop and run emergent transport. Tell us a little bit about some of the supporting evidence um, for this paradigm change. You know, we, we talked a little bit about that in in the podcast with Dr. Antevi, but we didn't hit a whole lot of specifics. Tell us about some of that research. So I, you know, I think that, this, like you said, this is a totally evolving subject. And I think that if you look at a lot of the protocols around the country, that a lot of people are starting to switch to trying to stay on scene and, and do more resuscitation on scene. And I think that a lot of that comes there was an article in 2015 by uh, Dr. and I always mispronounce the name, but I believe it's Tishson. It's T-I-J-S-S-E-N. And um, essentially what they did is they, it was a retrospective review and they tried to figure out at what point is, um, are your survivals best? How long on scene is it really best? And they really came to the conclusion that somewhere between being on scene 10 to 35 minutes, somewhere in there is where you get your highest survival rate. So not doing the old scoop and run that I think a lot of people have been used to in pediatric cardiac arrest um, and actually staying on scene and, and concentrating on doing good CPR and resuscitative efforts is, is so incredibly important. You know, some of, some of the barriers there obviously are our are, are family 
Um, how do you teach basically running the code, running the arrest in front of the family, in front of brothers and sisters, mom and dad can be, can be, uh, again, mentally, psychologically pretty difficult. What are some of the tips you give your medics as far as how to best manage the, you know, the social, for lack of a better word, social aspect of, of these situations? I think that, you know, uh, here we have, we do a pit, pit crew CPR. And so one of the positions that we have is to have somebody that interacts with the family. And I think somebody having a point person who understands exactly what's going on with the resuscitation in terms of um, what the what the providers are doing and kind of being able to describe and give updates uh, really helps a lot. I know that even in our emergency department, when we have a pediatric cardiac arrest come in, I always make sure that there's somebody out with the family or at least going back and forth and talking to the family and giving them updates because I feel like it really, it helps kind of calm the situation a little bit. And doing that at, the, at a house, I think would be really important as well. You know, I think that if you like, like you referenced earlier, if, if a crew walks into an 80-year-old cardiac arrest and maybe it wasn't, you know, maybe there's one provide, one caregiver at home or um, the scene might not be quite as dramatic, but if you have a, you know, it's 6.30 in the morning and you have a three-month-old baby and the whole family is there, then the emotions are, are pretty raw. And uh, so having someone to kind of help facilitate and, and interact with that family, I think is, is really important. And we, we've instituted pit crew CPR here too. And I think this is probably an example where, you know, going back to your answer to our first question, that they're not a whole lot of difference in how we should approach this. And I think this is one where the pediatric world probably could, could use to bleed over into the adult world in that, you know, we probably have that pit crew communication person going to be more heavily emphasized in a pediatric out, out of hospital cardiac arrest, but probably could use to emphasize that person in, in adult arrest too, right? I mean, you're, you're never going to go wrong by trying to enhance and improve your communication during these situations, whether it's an eight-year-old, an eight-month-old, or an 80-year-old. So probably something that we can all work on, you know, to try to better communicate with families, especially when we're on scene. And you're right, you know, the, the three-month-old at six, you know, five in the morning is going to be an entirely different scene than an 80-year-old home with his, you know, 78-year-old wife. Um, but it's no less stressful for, for, the, for the husband or the wife of the 80-year-old. So I think it's probably something we can we can, we can work on throughout these situations. Do you, do you see any situations where transport might still be necessary? You know, scoop and run might, might be the way to go, or, you know, is this one that should, should go the way of the dodo and the dinosaur? You know, I think uh, kind of referencing, I listened to Dr. Intevi's um, podcast earlier this month. And I mean, very similar to him, I think that really, I think scoop and run probably should go the way of the dodo. Uh, you know, it's going to, it's going to take a while because it, it's not just the paramedics, but like you referenced earlier, it's the police officer and the firefighters and everybody that's involved in that, in that uh, response to that scene to make sure that that, that, that child stays in the ho- in the house. Um, but I'm sure not staying for 30 minutes is probably not realistic. You know, at some point, I, w- I would never, and just like Dr. Antevi say, and I tell this to our medics too, when I do education with them, like if you're working a, a patient and let's say you even show up and, and you think, you know, it's that 5 a.m. call and there's signs of um, rigor or whatever, but you're just not comfortable not starting a resuscitation for whatever reason, I'm, I really will never get upset with a with a crew for starting and bringing them in, as long as they at least try to do good CPR at the scene before coming in. You know, I I think getting to the termination of resuscitation in pediatrics and, and that's a whole different topic. But I think that that for a lot of system 
symptoms is a, is a long way off just because there's so much emotional and other stuff that goes into it for, for kids. So I think that, you know, while we should get rid of the complete, you know, pick them up and run as fast as you can, transport for the most part, I think is probably never going to go away for kids to some extent. So in, in EMS services who have successfully transitioned to working these these kids on scene, and I know you guys there in Indy are, are working towards this, we are, you know, judging by the podcast topic here, we are we are trying to, to shift the paradigm as well. It's, it's going to be slow. Um, but in, in services where this transition to working, working peds patients on scene as opposed to scooping and running has, has happened, um, what are some of the ways that, that those services have have made the shift. I mean, what are some of the, again, I think you already hit on one and that's a, that's a pit crew person assigned for, assigned for the family and assigned for the communication aspects. And I'm sure that they probably could be assigned to the, you know, the, the firefighters and the, and the police on scene as well. What are some other, um, some other things that are out there in the literature with, with Pete's folks that you've spoken with? How are they going about that? Well, I think one of the, the big things is education. And um, and like like Dr. Antevi had talked about last week is is being confident in in um, in your ability to manage a, a pediatric cardiac arrest. And you know, if you talk to um, any providers, they go to an adult cardiac arrest, they know, you know, how much electricity, if they need to shock, they know exact drug doses, they know everything. But if you present them with a kid, they might be able to spot off a per kilo dose of a medicine. But I think that, you know, going into those situations prepared and not just and knowing exactly what dose of medicine you're giving. So, um, you know, I, I always reference the, at least where I did my fellowship, we had a lot of scene flights that were brought into our emergency department. And if you looked at those flight medics almost to a T, you know, they would have a piece of tape on their flight suit and on that it had a estimated weight. And then they had all of their drugs with the exact dose and volume. And so, and that was just them. And sometimes that was the residents also, not just the medics that were out on those, those scene flights. And I think that is a great kind of way to prepare yourself going into a situation that if you can take, you know, however long it takes you to get to the scene and take those few minutes and to the best of your ability, get doses down so that you don't have to do the math. You can go in and you're, if that's the case, then you're going to be more confident and, and just be more prepared. Cause I think it's that mental preparation that can really make a big difference. And for an adult cardiac arrest, that that's already happened, right? Because those doses don't change. So if we can transition into the pediatric cardiac arrest, having people prepared so that when they walk in, they're more confident. I think that that goes a long way to getting to the point that they're more comfortable staying on scene. So, and, and it's education and that kind of all flows from education and giving people the confidence that they're going to be able to care for these kids. And if, and if they do, if they are able to manage that airway well, make sure that they get epinephrine in quickly, um, that they're going to start to see results. And, uh, and if you see results, then, then you're going to be more likely to do it in the future. So I think, I mean, honestly, I think it all just starts with education. That's the biggest thing. There's not much much better driving force, or you know, to provide that carrot than than, than to get a kid back, right? I mean, it doesn't take one or two of those to to make you realize that hey, we got we're on onto something here. And I think that that's really where a lot of the data uh, seems to, and a lot of the literature seems to be pushing, is that the survival rates are so much higher when we're when we're working these people on scene, um, yeah. working these in these kids on scene that. Um, it's not going to take very many before we see the success, and once we do, um, that's that's got to be uh, it's got to be fa- powerful. Um, b- back to question one, just 
uh, to kind of circle back around just, sure. just for, um, just for the listeners out there, just kind of some review. Um, you mentioned, we talked about, you know, differences in peds and adults and, and we've talked about, you know, the fact that when you go on an adult run, you know, your epi, your atropine, your, your mag, your calcium, your bicarb, you know, all those doses off the top of your head because you've done it so many times. I think some of this is, is really just a factor of sheer numbers, right? There's more 80 year old arrests than there are eight month old arrests. And I think that's right. one of the reasons that we're more comfortable with those runs. And, you know, some of that is, is going to be impossible to thankfully impossible to, to change and make a difference on. And so back to your last question, education is going to be key. And I think that's going to involve, you know, scenarios and SIM and, and those sort of things. But when we talked, you mentioned the differences in causes for arrest, uh, peds and adults. Talk a little bit about that for me. Just, just again, a little bit of basic review for the listeners out there. Sure. So, you know, for most pediatric cardiac arrests, um, outside of traumatic causes, uh, a lot of them are respiratory in nature. That's why in terms of kind of your approach to the pediatric cardiac arrest, we still focus a lot on airway and breathing because most of the time it's, you know, an asthma exacerbation or a suffocation type of an event or a drowning. And, and those all start with a respiratory cause. And so a lot of the times, if we are able to give good respiratory care, that helps so much in getting the heart started again. So the focus on bag mass ventilation and quality bag mass ventilation. So when we changed our protocol here in Indianapolis for the pit crew CPR, uh, I added a position or we added a position to, um, to have a second person at the airway so that there is one person and their sole job is to hold the mask and the other person's sole job is to push on the bag. Um, and the reason is, is because if you're in a cardiac arrest and there's, you know, vomit and um, secretions, trying to get a good seal with that, with that mask using the old CE clamp um, is really hard and your fingers fatigue and your, um, and then you just don't get a good seal and, and you're not going to get chest rise. So if you can have one person and their sole job is to make sure that they're, uh, pulling that, that jaw into the mask and getting a good seal and then having somebody else really concentrate on, um, good ventilations, uh, with the, with the bag, then, you know, I think that goes a long way. So, uh, in, and then, you know, it's a totally different topic in terms of whether you intubate or not. However, I think that the, the most important skill in terms of pediatric airway management that a, that a pre-hospital provider can have is, is really good bag mass ventilation. Because it, if, if, if you are, for the most part, if you're unable to bag a kid, it's, it is because either you're, you're not getting a good seal or it, it very rarely is because of the, uh, the anatomy of the kid. Like you should, I always tell our medics, if you can't bag a kid, then bag better because you should, you should pretty much always be able to bag a child. Yeah. I think really you take the, uh, you know, the syndromic craniofacial abnormality kids out of that equation yeah. and that's yeah. 100% true. I, I would just, for the listeners out there, you may hear me say this again as, as the podcast rolls along, but I feel like the uh, most underrated difficult skill in all of emergency medicine for emergency providers is to be able to correctly bag valve mask a patient. I see it done wrong uh, more times than not. Uh, I think it's something we all need to put more, uh, you know, more cognitive effort into. I think we need to practice the skill. I think we need to not underestimate how important 
it can be. I mean, I think it impedes in adults who talk about, you know, DSI type procedure and trying to trying to maximize uh, pre-oxygenation in an adult. Um, there's there's you know numerous scenarios where I think it it holds it holds true, and, and I just I really think that we almost it's almost a, a shot to the ego. We don't want to admit a that it's it's difficult. Sometimes I think getting a good bag valve mass seal and, and bagging someone is more difficult than the act of intubating. You know, it takes two people, and I'm gonna rip your idea off of. Uh, assigning two to the to the peds airway but i think that's seems obvious and common sense that like you said when there's when there's vomit that's the key to to the entire process especially in a kid when when it's when it's going to be respiratory more times than not that's where the focus should be and it's not as you know it's not as cool it's not as sexy to 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 bag as it is to to intubate but i really think we need to change change our mindset as far as maybe not you know, one versus the other, but just, you know, cause it, like you said, that isn't, that's a different topic that, that I don't want to dive into today. But I do think that the, the importance of bag valve mass ventilation and getting a good seal and, you know, doing, you know, two person bag, if we need to, it's not, you know, that's not a surrender. It's not a sign of weakness. It's just good patient care. So feel free to expound on that. If, if you, uh, if you'd like, I feel pretty strongly there. I think you hit, hit my topic pretty, pretty well, but well, and I think, you know, just to kind of go back to that question about the differences between the kid, peds, and adults, cardiac arrest, I think another big thing, you know, in, in pediatric cardiac arrest, you know, most of them, especially the babies, um, are going to be either PEA or asystole, right? And so your only tool is epinephrine. And we could debate epinephrine, but, uh, you know, I think that it is so critical you know, after you've started your airway, um, the next step that needs to happen almost simultaneously is getting access, not messing around with an IV and just putting an IO in and uh, um, getting getting epinephrine in. There was a recent a recent study um, that essentially showed that kids and adults, it was both, but uh, who have early epinephrine have a higher mort- mortality rate. And early epinephrine was under 10 minutes of arrival, which, you know, is, should not be that difficult to achieve if you have multiple people doing things at the same time. And so I think that that's the other, the other part of this process is managing the airway and then getting access and then intervening once you get that access. And an IO is an easy thing to do. It can really make a difference as well. And I think all of these things taken together, I think this is a good spot to, to wrap us up. I appreciate uh, you joining us today, Greg, and again, and, and forgot to mention Andy at the beginning. Andy's on the board as always, but I think when we think about IO, early epi, um, you know, early ventilatory support, bag valve mask, or, or you know, invasive airway, not not the topic for today, but all all of those things taken together in a bundle are going to happen more quickly, more efficiently if we're utilizing good pit cure CPR on the scene without the uh, process of scooping and running because you know we all know that in the back of the truck it's going to happen more haphazardly or you're you're moving down the road you're you don't have your entire you know somebody's got to somebody's driving the truck whereas if you're working on the scene you know you've got you've got extra hands um, you've got increased ability to concentrate so I think this 
kind of takes us back and wraps us up at a nice spot. 30 minutes, probably, like you said, unrealistic. But I think to take us through that first round, that early epi, that early access, and that focus on on our ventilatory efforts, because these are going to be more commonly respiratory uh, than cardiac in the kids, is going to lead us to better outcomes. So thank you guys for joining us today. If you have questions or comments, please send them our way, and we'll talk to you again soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.